Thank you, Pastor. And I'm, but I, I'm very thankful for your leadership and for your patience as I figured out what I, how to do anything at all in the kingdom of God. Um, I'm very thankful. And, uh, and I give you all that credit. And God. Amen. And it's not a, it's not much of a, when you can, when you can see that God's asked you to do something, it's not much to give up when it's just something that I just want to do. And so I'm just, I'm thankful that God chose me and called me and didn't, um, didn't leave me to be one of these people who were just lost and who run around their whole life seeking after something to fill themselves up with and make themselves feel like they're worth anything. God called me, and he's called every one of us too. And that's what I'm the most thankful about is that every one of us have that calling on our life that we don't have to go and try to seek success in the world. We don't have to try to go and get value from another person or from a position or from an education or from a job or from a title or from anything else, but we can come to God and receive value, but also receive anything else in the world we would have ever sought after. God will give to us because he gives us the desires of our heart. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he gives us all these other things. And so I'm, I'm thankful, thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I'm also real thankful for Sister Julie, who, yes, I am. You know, we were in we're in the prayer about two weeks ago now, and she began to see this this Queen of Sheba spirit that we've been talking about and praying about, and um, and she says she's actually never even heard the term Queen of Sheba used in her life, just in casual, you know. Some people were saying, I've, I've heard people say, who do you think you are, the Queen of Sheba? She never, heard, never even heard that. It wasn't like she pulled up a, a grandmother's anecdote somewhere. She listened to the Holy Spirit and began to bring a revelation that has changed my life, that has changed the life. I know the life of everybody who's been in this prayer has changed our life. I believe prophetically it has changed the entire world. One thing we saw as we were studying about it is, um, and we'll, we'll get into that in just in a little bit, but is that uh, in Hebrew teaching, they said that the Queen of Sheba was a, was a principality over the entire world. Wow. That's why it took two weeks of prayer to get to it. But my God in heaven, when you can have a breakthrough like that, it doesn't just affect our church. It doesn't just affect my family. That is a breakthrough that can be taken to Ghana. That can be a break, breakthrough that can be taken to Central America. That's a breakthrough that is, that has weakened a principality over the entire world. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm, that's why I'm thankful for our sister Julie who prays and hears from God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to read about the Queen of Sheba, if that's okay. So we can understand a little bit about what we're talking about. And then we're going to kind of dig into one of these things. We know that in Ephesians it tells us that there's powers, there's rulers, there's principalities, you know, there's, there's ranks of these spirits that operate in the world. Some of them, you know, I can take authority in my own life without a big battle. 
Not a big one. I can just take authority and tell it to get out. I can pray about it and it's gone. It's got to go. Don't have to listen to me. But Jesus said some of these only come out through intense, prolonged prayer and fasting. There are some that are more difficult than others. And that is the reason why some things we just tell to get out. And some things we can tell to get out all day long. But it ain't coming out until we go into intense prayer and fasting. So in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1 is where we're going to start. And, and we find the Queen of Sheba has heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Is what it says. And so she came to prove him with hard questions. We see a couple things about the Queen of Sheba here. Historically, this was a very um, prosperous time, the most prosperous time in all of history for this region, um, from Israel down to Egypt and Ethiopia. She, the land of Sheba um, encompassed Ethiopia, Egypt, and, and that area. It was a, it was a large area, um, larger than the countries that are over there today, and it was extraordinarily prosperous. Rivaled only in its prosperity by Solomon's kingdom, which was also extraordinarily prosperous. And so the queen of Sheba said, I've heard about the fame of Solomon, but not just the fame of Solomon. I've heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the Lord. Can we, let's just leave it up there as we can go through this one verse. Concerning the she didn't just hear that there was another king that was wealthy. There was another kingdom that rivaled her own. Because in her kingdom, she was worshipped as God. She was worshipped. She didn't have to touch her feet to the ground. People carried her around. People, everyone served her. And they didn't only serve her as queen. They served her as a God. She was worthy to be worshipped. And she thought in herself that she was worthy to be worshipped. And she found, and no doubt, as things went in history at this time, there were other kings and kingdoms that were lesser in the area who... She also wanted to worship her, and because they were lesser and less powerful, she got them to come worship her too. Because that's how it worked back then. You, you know, I, you, you see how wonderful I am. You see how strong my army is. There was, um, aside from Israel, there was no other army that rivaled the Ethiopian army at the time. And, um, and so you, if, if you don't want us to attack us, you pay me. You worship me. You send me some gold and silver and precious jewels and anything else I ask for. And, and you're good with me. And you also worship me. And so she had kingdoms that worshipped her. And then she heard about another kingdom that wasn't just prosperous, but it was famous because of the name of the Lord. And so she wasn't only rivaled in, like her pride wasn't only dinged by knowing that there was somebody else who was doing well. But she was upset that there was somebody else who was being worshipped and was doing well. And so she went to Solomon with the purpose. We see here she came to prove him, to test him with hard and difficult questions. She had heard that he was wise, that he had the wisdom of the Lord, and she had heard that he was wealthy. 
And so she came to check it out herself. And you can read a few scriptures down that she was, she didn't expect him to be as wealthy as he was either. She came to prove him really in every area, not just with the hard questions, but to see is all this fame I've heard about actually as fantastic as all, as I've heard that it is. I want to see who this God is that this person is given all the credit to for all of this strength, for all of this might, for all of this financial prosperity, for all of this wisdom. I need to come find it out because I am God. So I'm come test and see. Now, how many of us, and this is where we get into what we've been praying about. How many of us know there are people in our life that when we try to move forward in God, they come around for the express purpose of trying to find some way that we are still the same as we used to be yesterday. We all have those people. Some of us are those people to somebody else without even realizing it. Hmm? Your husband comes home, wife comes home and says, oh my God, I've been at prayer all day. I got a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see. If you said it, testing, testing God, proving God with hard and difficult questions. And that is the Queen of Sheba. Now we see as we read on down that she tested him and she came and she came with all of her splendor to show off herself and how wonderful she is. And um, and the queen in verse four, when the Queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and he had answered all of her questions in verse three and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and their cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, how he, how he connected with God. It wasn't just that he was blessed, but that he really, there was a real God that he served. It says there was no more spirit in her. So we see that it was a spirit that actually indwelt the Queen of Sheba. And she went in order to test what God did. And when she saw and she didn't see anything that she could criticize, any way where she could say, I'm better than him. This is nothing. This is nothing. That the spirit actually left her, it said. And she had no more spirit in her because there was nothing else to prove. And she was humbled before God. And then that's when she could finally say, it was a true report that I heard in my own land of your acts and your wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came and my eyes had seen it myself and behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame, which I even heard. So we see that it wasn't until that spirit had left her that she was actually able to give honor to God for what God had done. Until that time, she tested, she pushed, she poked, she asked question after question after question. She pushed and pushed and pushed. If you've ever said something like, why do you spend all that time in prayer? You're going to the church again. You spend more time. How much longer? Don't you know there's stuff that I, I want attention to? Don't you know? Because the purpose of the Queen of Sheba, and we don't see it a lot of times in just its ugliness until this prayer has happened, is to get God out of somebody else. So 
She came so that she could make sure to tell Solomon that he actually wasn't the most powerful man in the world. He wasn't the wisest man in the world. His God was not the greatest thing in the world. She really was. And he needed to come serve her. That was the reason she came there. Now, thank God, when she got there, there was a man who was blameless. Unfortunately, many of us are not blameless. We're just trying to figure out how to serve God. Amen. Amen. And so if you come ask enough questions, you're going to find something ugly in me. (laughs) If you push hard enough, help us, Jesus. But... But now that we can see that spirit and by the end of the day, we're going to go home with a breakthrough that we can take home because there already is a breakthrough in prayer. But we can go home and take that breakthrough home. And when somebody comes pushing, then we can be able to stand up like Solomon. And there's you can see what you want to see. You can say what you want to say. You can ask what you want to ask. But this is all I am is just trying to serve God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. One of the ways that we saw this spirit manifest, and I know y'all are already seeing it right now while I'm talking, but one of the ways that we saw the spirit manifest that I really want to focus in on today is what we're calling a guard dog spirit. Now, no, nobody up here is operating in this, I don't believe. So I'm just going to say there's somebody on the piano. There's nobody on the piano today. So somebody on the piano, not in this church in general, who, um, who gets real irritated if you ask somebody else to sit on the piano. We've seen people like that. Brother Floyd's pastor churches. I'm sure he knows people like that. They get real mad if you come and mess with my stuff because this is my thing. This is my thing. Piano's my thing. Don't come mess with my thing. You can do something else, but this is my area. I can, if I'm operating the Spirit, say I'm, the, I'm an intercessor. We don't need you. How, have you ever been trying to get involved and get connected with a church? This church even maybe. And, and you feel that, just that hand, like it's just put up in your face. We don't really need that. Thank you. We don't really need you. Thank you. We don't really need all that. And it's just a hand that gets put up to somebody who just wants to help. How many of us want to help? Every every hand in the building. But sometimes we don't feel like we can help. So why do we not feel like we can help? It's a guard dog. It's that guard dog spirit. But here is how it connects. If I'm my heart and my motivations are in the right place as I'm up here ministering on the, on the piano. I'm just up here ministering. And if my heart is in the place of, I want to get the presence of God to come in here, and I don't care how it gets in, God. I just want to lay my life before your feet. You can use me. You can do whatever you want to through me. I just want the presence of God to come in. And then somebody else says, oh, my God, I feel... Like, I should get up and play a song. I feel like I should get up, get up here and, and do something. And you get mad about it. That is the sign right there. But if my heart's in the right place, I don't care because I want all the help I can get. If I'm, if I'm a cook, if, I, if I'm the one who cooks for my home group. 
And then all of a sudden somebody else wants to cook for my home group and I get mad about it. That doesn't even make sense. That's less that I have to cook. But it don't stop it from happening. Because somebody else wants to help. They want to do something. They don't know what they want. They just want to do something to help somebody because Jesus is stirring up in them. I just want whenever Jesus is stirring in us, we want to do something. I want to do something. And now, well, why you don't want some help cooking? Because if it's my source of value, then you coming to help me means that you're taking my value away from me. And so I get real upset about it. So how is this all working with the Queen of Sheba? It's because if I have a thing that I'm serving myself with by making it my source of value, then I'm building myself up. This is really all about me. If I cared about the breakthrough coming in, I'd want whoever needed to get on that piano to get up on that piano and bring the breakthrough in. But I don't care about bringing the breakthrough in. If I'm mad about it, I care about having my place and my position. If I cared about people who are lost and undone without God, who come into our cell groups having some food, because they actually may not even eat. Some of our kids, especially at the youth group, they don't eat dinner if they don't come to youth. That's why they come. You can tell in the way they act. They ain't there for God. They're there for some food, but it's okay because they get God in the process. But if my heart is letting me, I'm going to feed these children so that they have something to eat so they can come and hear God. If that's my heart, then if, if 20 people wanted to make some food, they're teenagers. They'll eat it. Come on, bring it on. Bring it all in. I'm more than happy for you to come help. But... If I get mad about it, that's not for the teenagers. If I feel threatened, if I feel threatened because somebody else is leading prayer today when it's normally my turn to lead prayer, if somebody else is doing something over here that I normally do and I begin to feel threatened and I begin to feel jealous and I begin to feel uncomfortable, then what is my motivation in that? Hey, If my heart is in advancing the kingdom of God, then I will never put a hand up and say, I don't need the help. And as you have ever felt anybody say, I don't need the help, just put, we're not, we're going to say you're not going to feel that anymore. But if you ever do, just come on around it because nobody up here wants, we all up here want your help. We all, because we're not interested in somebody who builds them own, their own kingdom up. And I, and I just believe prophetically we don't have anybody who does build their own kingdom up. But if I have, if that is my source. We see it in our families though too. We can, I can talk about my mama because she's going to heaven. So my mom latched on to one of my daughters. And because she got some value out of that because there's a, here's a beautiful little girl and she feels loved and she can feel connected with her. And she began to build up a kingdom of self in that. We do it in our families when we, when we pull our value from someone else. Some of it's our spouse, some of it's our husband, some of it's our kids, some of it's our grandkids. But it's anywhere where I'm pulling. My, my interest is not for you, really. My interest is for me. Because that is the spirit of the Queen of Sheba. And if you mess with me, if you come and and try to come up in the place where I get my value from, I'm going to get mad about it. All right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
We're going to take a, another verse here in John 15, verse 9. We'll start with and go to verse 13. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be fooled. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Then he specifies how he has loved us. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, as we were in prayer this week, I began to see all of the many ways that the Spirit operates in, all, in me and all of us. Because here's, here's what we say. Help us, Jesus. I lay down my life for God. I submit to God. Only one can judge me is God. I lay down my life for this ministry. I submit to my pastor. And in all of those things, there is one common thread. I get something back out of that. If I submit to God, I have something. At the very least, I know that I'm super spiritual and holy. At the very least, I know that. If I submit to my pastor, I can say I'm submitted to this vision. I'm just submitted. It's all wonderful. I'm at the prayer all the time. I'm submitted. But let a person come around who needs some help. I know y'all ain't shouting now. But let a person, let a person, just a human who can't give me anything, has nothing to give. Let a human being come to me and interrupt my flow. Now, pastor can call me and I'll drop anything and be up here at the prayer. I know that's right. God can move on me and I'll drop anything and be up at the prayer. But don't let God send me somebody in need. Don't let God send me somebody who just needs some help and a breakthrough that I may have to deal with for a little while and love when, there's, when, when there is no value in it. The only thing in it for me is to give out. There is literally nothing in it for me. And Jesus said, I give you one commandment, just one. Love others as I have loved you. Now, the spirit operates, though, and we want to do all these things that we can build ourselves up in and feel spiritual. But if you've ever delayed your life down for another, just another person, you know that about the only thing you can get out of it is maybe a little bit of gratification if they make it down to the altar. But, Lord, how many times have I helped somebody and they never came down to the altar? Most of us, when we help somebody, we're like, I ain't messing with these knuckleheads no more. Done. Y'all want no help? Or you come down to the altar. I'm done. But how did Jesus love us? He didn't just give. He fasted and prayed for us. 
He fasted and prayed for people. And when he was done fasting and praying for people, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he bled and he sweated drops of blood over the agony. Even Jesus didn't want to. We see there's nothing wrong with that battle in us that just says, oh my God, I'm just my own self-interest. I just don't want to do this for all these people all the time. Even Jesus didn't want to. He prayed and he said, God, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do it. God, I just can imagine all the other words because he was there for an hour or so. I can just imagine all the other words that he was saying besides let this cup pass from me. It's, God, you know that these people well, probably ain't never going to get it right. God, you know that Peter's visiting to deny me in a couple of hours. I don't want to do this for these people. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, God. You want me to lay down my You want me to lay down my life for just these people that because I'm so holy and righteous, I may actually think aren't worth as much as me. You want me to lay down my life for these people. They're not gonna become the next Billy Graham. God, the best hope they have is to not go get back on drugs. You want me to lay my life down? And what do I get out of it? I God, I get a lot of wonderful things out of being in the prayer all day, but what I get out of this, I don't get anything out of it. And Jesus said, Mike, you just gave you one commandment. One commandment I'm going to leave with you. Love as I have loved. The spirit that Jesus operated in of laying down his life for others is the opposite spirit of the queen of Sheba because I can actually be very holy and righteous and operate in that spirit. I can be at the prayer every time the doors are open and operate in this spirit. I can every time I can have revelation. I can have prophecy. I can, I can have it all, but I'm still building my own self up because I'm doing it for me. If I'm not doing it for somebody else the way Jesus did it, I'm doing it for me. Hallelujah. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 36, he said, Master, uh, someone asked him, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Two commandments that all righteousness is fulfilled in. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength, that all righteousness is fulfilled in that. It is not. All righteousness is not fulfilled in that. All righteousness is fulfilled in loving God with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole soul, my whole my strength, and also loving my neighbor. And that's why this spirit is one that is so wicked. It's one that is so missed. We can see somebody that's just arrogant. We can see that. And many times the spirit operates and makes us just arrogant. We can see somebody who's, um, who just always wants attention, always wants you to tell them how good they are because they feel so bad about themselves all the time. Many times the spirit operates, manifests in that. We can, we can even see people who make us feel very unwelcome. 
But a lot of times when we're the ones who make people feel unwelcome, we don't see it in ourselves Because I don't recognize, I'm doing all this stuff for God. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm in the prayer. I'm doing all these things. I'm laying my life down for Jesus. But... I'm not doing the life of Jesus. Jesus did more than just sit on the mountaintop and pray. He even did more than just work some miracles. He laid his life down. He didn't live his own life. You know that Jesus was rich. He was rich. I was just reading how his garments were so pricely that they, kept, they divided up everything else Jesus owned. But the clothes he was wearing, they had to cast lots over because they were so priceless. They weren't going to cut them up. They weren't going to touch them. They didn't even want the blood that he was bleeding again on them garments because they were so valuable. He was given king's gifts when he was born. Jesus was rich. He couldn't have spent all that money in his lifetime. He was so rich that the disciples knew how much money he had when he was feeding the 5,000, which was really more like 15 or 20,000. They said, do you want us to go in town and buy some food? You can read that in there. Before, before he worked the miracle, they said, do you want us to go buy food? For 20,000 people, Jesus was rich. Hey. And so he could have had anything. He could have made himself up to be the best televangelist that Israel and all of the Middle East and Europe had ever seen. But he laid his life down. He didn't even have a place to lay his head because he gave his life to that point. Jesus, help us see, God, how we pursue all the activities that, may, that give us value and make us feel good about ourselves, God, and make us feel righteous and holy. But, Father, we ignore the commandment that you left with us, God, that all righteousness is fulfilled inside of, and that is that I lay my life down for somebody else. You can tell when the fast is for loved ones and five people show up. But the fast is for pulling down a stronghold or is for getting a breakthrough in my finances or whatever. And 20 people show up. You can see the difference. You can see the spirit in operation because, hey, I don't even want to lay my life down real good for my loved ones. I certainly don't want to do it for Sudjo Blow off the street. If I'm honest and take the mask off, y'all, I'm just being, just call it what it is. Jesus didn't die. For the Father. He did not lay his life down for God the Father, not even because he asked him to. He laid his life down because he loved us. Paul, in Philippians 3.10, got the, you can see as he's writing when he, when he realized there's so much more to Jesus than even what I already thought I knew. He says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that, and 
that I may come in the same way to know the power outflowing from his death and resurrection, which exerts over believers, and that I may so share in his sufferings as to be continually transformed in the spirit into the likeness of his death. What is being transformed that Paul was seeking out of into the likeness of his death? It's I lay down my life for love. I lay down my life for people. And there is a spirit, and we learned that it is actually a principality over the whole world that comes and wants to get our focus off on anything that we can get value from. Lord knows most of us did not get enough value as a child, and if you got some, some it was too much, and so now you think too highly of yourself anyway, and all you want is more value. We're all in the same mess, one way or another. We seek after things that make me feel good about myself. And sometimes we're so addicted to it, we come to church, and instead of laying my life down and humbling myself and realizing how lost and undone I am, and that I can't do a single thing without Jesus... I begin to fill myself up. I begin to fill my value up. I begin to fill myself up with all the things. And that's the reason why many of our things don't work. Because I'm doing it for myself. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that on the judgment day, our works are going to be tried to see what kind they are. They're going to be tried by fire. They're either going to burn up or they're going to be purified. If you're the woman sitting on the keyboard who don't ever want anybody else to touch that keyboard, come in late if I want to. My uncle actually had this situation at his church. There was an organ player. She was the organ player. She had been the organ player for 50 years, and you didn't touch her organ. She could come in late. Everybody waited on her. You don't touch that organ. No, it don't matter if a kid wants to learn and let God use them. They can learn a different instrument. I have the organ. And so he replaced her because she came to church all late all the time. And oh my God, the war that broke out against now he wait we didn't have this revelation. We had broke through Queen of Sheba back then, or we probably could have helped him some. But he just had hell fighting him and winning. All the deacon board, it was just a mess. You know how them people are. There's a mess. A mess. Because she found a thing and it made her feel good because I'm not getting my value from the world anymore. I'm not getting my value from somebody telling me how wonderful I am. I'm getting my value from this thing I do for Jesus, but I'm still getting my value from a thing. And hey, still getting my value from a thing and not from laying and humbling myself before God and allowing God to put his value in me because it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how great the works are. If my righteousness is still always as filthy rags. Anything that I do for myself will come to nothing. It's only through God. And if my, if my motivation is not fulfilling myself up, I'm so happy that some, a next generation wants to come learn the keyboard. I'm so happy that somebody wants to come help me cook. I'm so happy that somebody wants to help in my Sunday school class. I'm so happy that somebody else wants to do something with the kids because there's too many of them and I don't even know how to handle the ones I got. I'm so happy. 
I'm so happy that anybody would have it in their heart to do anything that would help push forward the kingdom of God. And there is no territorialness. There is no territory that's mine and you don't touch it. There is no hand that goes up. Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, God. One of the one of the preachers at the ramp conference I went to, I don't remember who it was, but he said, you know, there's that song that says, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. He said, it really should be, I need to know how much it costs. Because I have to discern the cost God is asking out of me. I have to be able to, to recognize my, that I'm building my own kingdom up when I'm building my own kingdom up and God wants to tear it down. I have to be able to recognize that I'm, I'm really only doing this because I get value out of it and I don't care about you. Because that is the truth. If, I, if, I, if it's for me, I don't care about you. I, care about, I may care about you responding to something so that I can feel good and like I did something for myself. That may, but that's still about me. I may care that I have 20 people at my cell group instead of five. But because it makes me feel good about myself. Not because I care about the gospel going forward, but because it makes me feel good about myself. Well, that's about me. That is about me. And it's going to, because it is the way the Spirit operates, is going to push people away from God. That's the reason why we can't... It's going to, in our marriages, pull one person away from God. It's going to. It's going to with our kids when we are just... So as we're seeing this, we have to understand that the real... The real root of this is that it's just all about me. And the spirit, because it wants to worship myself, it doesn't care how it manifests in people. It can make you feel bad about yourself. It can make you feel good about yourself. It can make you be a guard dog and want to keep everything to yourself. But it's all about self. Any way I can get some value. Shalom, Santa. In Revelations chapter 2, Jesus is addressing a church. He said, I know that you do everything right. I know you do. You're holy. You're righteous. You sing all the right songs. You do all the right things. You do all the good stuff. But you've left your first love. And a lot of times we read that is, and we've left loving God. But what God showed me as we were going through this fast is my first love is the love that I had at first. I've, I've left it. The love I had at Because when, when we first got saved or first got filled with the Holy Ghost, you can remember that time when you were so on fire. All you wanted to do was give out of yourself because you were so overflowing with the love of God. And all you did was just love everybody. Didn't matter who it was. I'm just going to love you. I go find unlovable people and love them. He says, I just have one thing against you, though. You do everything right. You're holy. You're righteous. You don't put up with sin. You do all the right things. I just have one problem, though. And that's that you left that love you had at first. The love. 
that we showed other people and you turned it inward to yourself. Because now I can sit up here and I can say, even God said I'm holy and righteous. Even God said it and I can feel good about myself. I'm building, I'm still building myself up. Help us, help us, God, help us. Sister Dana, can you come play for just, just a little bit? Hallelujah, Jesus. Can we all just stand? Because I know that this is, I know I can see on your expressions that some of you are getting it. But I also know that it really takes a, a revelation to see the, the fullness of what this is operating in our life. You can see some of the examples and say, but oh, I, I do do that. And then the next thought, you know, comes and explains away why that's not really me. Y'all know how we do. But we just want to join in agreement right now. Everybody, can we just lift our hands and ask Holy Spirit, God of all knowledge and all wisdom, my Father in heaven. God, we submit our lives to you, God. I submit my life to you. Father, we do not want a spirit operating inside of us. I don't want a spirit operating inside of me, God, that would build myself up and make me feel just so I feel good about myself, God, but that would push somebody else away from God, that would take God out of somebody else. Father, we ask that you reveal that to us, God, in the name of Jesus.